You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Listen up, we all know that it is an election year. Wow. You know, I think that we've built up to this point since like 2015. I mean, before we had even had our most current president elected, there was already controversy and people were already gearing up, ready to go. And here we are. The question is, did you guys make it to the polls? If maybe you were there for Super Tuesday before, now we still have more people continuing to vote. And the great question is not only who will our next president be and a number of other representatives across the country, but also the question is, who will you vote for? What party will you stand with? You know, we as Catholics hold a nonpartisan approach. We do not endorse, of of course, any candidate or, in fact, any party. And sometimes that's a little hard for people to understand. However, we have to remember that first and foremost, we're Catholic voters. You know, when people ask me the question of, well, you know, when you are asked, who are you? My first response really is Catholic because our Catholicism should really touch on every part of our life. And I'll say this, especially when I'm working with young people, uh, you know, because it's important for them to understand that your Catholic faith touches not just who you're friends with at school, who you hang out at youth group, how you pray at church. It impacts your sex life and the decisions you make about your sexuality. It impacts, in fact, it should impact what we eat and how we eat, how we spend our money. And yes, even who we vote for. I know the two topics of who we vote for and what we decide to do with our bodies, both with food and sexuality, can be somewhat controversial. But these also cross over into the Catholic Church's teaching um, on just how we live our lives. And, you know, sometimes people don't realize that the Catholic Church actually does have a lot to say about voting, about pointing to us individuals as being responsible for what happens in our nation by actually participating in the country's voting and really to be patriotic. It's actually very Catholic to be patriotic, yet for some reason we forget that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. A little later on, we'll be talking with Sister Helena Burns. Sister Helena Burns is someone who I have followed for a number of years now. She is quite the tweeting sister. In fact, she is known as one of those kind of recovering feminists, as she calls herself, has a really neat story. So we'll be talking with her a little later on today on the show, both about understanding kind of this balance between like getting along with one another, the complementarity between men and women, and how, because she's really dived deep into theology of the body, how that actually reminds us that we're supposed to have this complementarity between us and God, which is exactly what we're also talking about right now as we approach the topic of voting. So there was this piece that I was sent earlier this week, and it continues to be a question. And the question is this, 
Has the Democrat Party ignored Catholic voters? And if they have, are they basically shooting themselves in the foot? Have they made a bad decision? You know, I think that when we talk about Catholic voting, of course, as always, the specific issues such as hot button issues of abortion and others come up very quickly. And it was interesting because one of the pieces I was reading from American Magazine, excellent piece written by Father Thomas Reese, and he was asking the question, you know, maybe perhaps Democrats are avoiding bringing up specifically Catholicism because it would cut into some of their voter base. For example, uh, those who are what we would call uh, radically feminist, you know, very in favor of abortion with, you know, no no restrictions placed on it, uh, in favor of things such as LGBTQ issues, uh, saying things like there are no differences between men and women. And usually, and Father actually mentioned this in the article there at the American magazine uh, that teachers unions are also in that grouping that actually opposes Catholic worldviews. Now, I'm coming from Southern California. We've seen, unfortunately, in our school districts in Southern California, there's been a huge push both by the teachers unions and really accepted by the teachers to accept ideologies that are contrary to the Catholic Church's teaching surrounding sexuality. And what's ultimately at stake is that it's putting children at risk. We're over-sexualizing children, and so there's this debate between your common person who wants to protect their child and the teachers' union who are bringing in people to literally train young people as young as you know, age five, kindergartners, you guys, to be so aware of their sexuality, but not just aware of the sexuality, to experiment with it and to say that there's no difference between little girls and little boys. And so when we talk about, you know, has the Democrat Party ignored Catholic voters, I think the Democrat Party, unfortunately, has lost sight of important issues that are relevant to families and therefore, which are very relevant to Catholics. And again, I use California as an example, but we're not alone in California. I know many of you warriors out in the other states are doing everything you can to try and protect the young minds from being exposed to radical ideologies that are too mature and that are too confusing for them Because they're just that. They're ideologies that pass away with the time. They're not eternal truths. And that's why my challenge to you is to really remember that we as Catholics are called to vote as Catholics, that there is such a thing as truth. Uh, We're called to be consistent with our character and not just follow the signs of the times in terms of who and what we vote for. Think of that. And I think that sometimes we get so wrapped up in pop culture and who's talking about what and what's popular and trendy and who's got the best rhetoric. And we forget that values still matter. And we can't just think, well, I like the way this person talks. Therefore, I think that there's going to be you know, a good outcome down the road. I think that that person's a nice guy or could make great decisions. All of these topics really matter. So again, has the Democrat Party shot themselves in the foot by ignoring Catholic voters? A lot of the statistics have shown over the last number of elections that whoever gets the Catholic vote usually ends up winning, whether it's in particular we're talking about for a future presidency. And so 
who has the Catholic vote now? That's what's in question. And that's what's really up for you to decide. So when people bring up Catholic voting, one of the things that I find frustrating is that we often end up turning specifically to the issue of abortion first. Now, here's what's unfortunate. People often associate Catholic voters with anti-women types of attitudes. In fact, a lot of people wrongly so think that the Catholic Church doesn't like women. And I have to be honest, sometimes I wonder if we've done a very good job expressing what the Catholic Church really does have to say about women. Because the Democrat Party sees that, in particular, women are one of those voting blocks where they don't know which direction they're necessarily going to go. And so when we're talking about hot-button issues such as abortion being brought in under the Catholic mantle, uh, we need to help people see that the Catholic Church, instead of just talking about abortion— is actually talking about women when it addresses that particular issue. In fact, if we look at the history of the Catholic Church, wow, do we not stand on incredibly strong footing with regard to respect for women? I mean, just look at the time of Christ. Ancient Judaism at that time, we saw that Christ placed a very particular emphasis on honoring women. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Follow me on Instagram. I would love to be in contact with you guys, hear from you throughout the week, what topics you'd like to hear, what you guys are watching, talking about. I know there have been been a lot of requests for The Bachelor over the last couple weeks with all of the Bachelor drama. I'll be honest, I haven't seen a single episode yet. We've been talking about it here on Trending and will continue to because the latest story has been absolutely fascinating. So again, when I'm looking back to where has the Catholic Church stood on solid ground, it specifically has to do with women. Look at, for example, that telltale story that we all know of Martha and Mary. And we know that Martha is upset because she's serving Jesus and the apostles and all of her guests. She's busy doing all of this work and she complains to Jesus like, Lord, Would you not call up my sister Mary, who's just sitting here at your feet, not helping me? And she's looking at Mary like, what are you doing? You're not helping me in any way whatsoever to help entertain all of these guests that we have. And it's interesting because Jesus' message to Martha is that Mary has actually chosen the best spot. Mary has chosen to be there before our Lord, to be there and engage in conversation. And, you know, there are multiple meanings that can be interpreted from this specific passage on various levels if we're looking at biblical interpretation. But one of the most simple interpretations is this, that while yes, all of the entertainment and the worrying to make sure everyone's fed and comfortable is incredibly important, we can't lose sight of the human dimension of interacting with other people. And at that point in history and in that culture, unfortunately, sometimes Women could be looked down upon. Women were not honored necessarily for their opinion, for their contribution to even talking about things such as faith, morals, and politics. And so can we sometimes understand why if we have a poor understanding of the Catholic Church, people might think that the church is anti-woman. They just think that we are anti-abortion because we want to oppress women. But in fact, we're against abortion because We as a church believe that women really deserve better than abortion. And that abortion, yes, destroys the innocent life of a child, 
but that abortion also really does destroy the woman in her future and the challenges that she will face by carrying that wound on forever. We'll be right back here on Trending. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where the truth on sex, marriage, and family matters. Offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Thanks for being with me. I have a guest today who I have to say I've been quite the Twitter stalker for a number of years. And then we happened to meet up at a Theology of the Body conference a couple years ago. She is what she has called herself at times a recovering feminist. And yes, in fact, a Catholic nun, a sister, one of the sisters of St. Paul. Her name is Sister Helena Burns. You may have followed her on Twitter. Thanks for being with us, Sister Helena. Oh, thanks for having me. It is so exciting to have you. Now, we could go into this, and maybe it's another topic for another day, but if you could kind of summarize for people, you know, you're not just this Catholic nun who's grown up in Catholicism. You have had your own opinions about things over the years and have really come around to the Catholic Church's approach to many things, but could you give us in a nutshell uh, why you've called yourself before a recovering feminist? So not exactly my words, because what I always say is feminism is not a dirty word. In its most basic, it means to protect and promote women. And we're always going to need some form of protection and promotion of women. Agreed? Agreed. Absolutely. But, but what you think a woman is and what consists in her good protection and promotion, well, that's where feminism just branches out into all forms of feminism. So I think when, we're say, when we throw that word around, we have to ask people, well, what do you mean by feminism? What kind of a feminist are you? What do you mean by that? So um, I was a radical feminist which changes everything. Now now we're branching out. Radical feminism doesn't believe that there are any significant differences between men and women, except for a few reproductive body parts, and that's about it. And we have found out by, that's not even scientific because we have discovered lately that even the parts of our bodies that we share, like our eyes, our brains, our, our muscles, our, our hearts are so different. I just heard just recently from a gastroenterologist, he said, you know, sister, he said, you know, all those warnings on drugs, the medicines, he said, most of those are for women. Women's bodies have most all of those side effects, not men's bodies. Because they've made these drugs so super intense and strong for a man's body. And our more delicate, finely tuned women's bodies can't handle a lot of these heavy-duty drugs that they've, you know what I mean, like not tested on humans, but they, they were crafted for men. Let's put it that way. Right. And he said to me, another unfairness, right, sister? <laughs> <laughs> but you know but, what, sister? It's so true because, I mean, I remember seeing a 60 Minutes episode a few years ago, and it was talking about some over-the-counter sleeping pill that you could take. And there ended up being a huge warning that came out on it because specifically if women took it, um, they could get pulled over for being intoxicated the next day because it had nothing to do with weight or height. It had to do with the female brain reacted very differently to the male brain just over a simple sleeping pill that's over the counter. Right, right. And so I, all my life, I mean, I I grew up very secular. I, I was in a Catholic home 
dragged to Mass every Sunday, hated it, had to go to CCD, went to public school, and was planning to leave the church as soon as I possibly could. Um, my parents were very vigilant, you know, kind of strict parents, good parents, but, you know, I, I was like the, the child who, you're living under my roof, you're going to abide by my rules type of thing. So I was waiting to, to bust out, you know, when I got a little older. But I was drinking in the culture of the time, which was quite quite a while ago, um, but it was very feminist, and I just believe women can do anything. And kind of with, like, um, being very unrealistic, like I said to myself, I could be a firefighter if I wanted to. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't even lift a, you know, a 10-pound dumbbell in my, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, if a woman can do the job, fine, let her do the job. But can she carry a, a male adult out of a burning building? If she has that kind of strength, go for it. Do it, you know. But so we shouldn't lower standards of jobs just so a woman can live her dream. Safety first. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If a woman can do the job, go for it. Um, it's, and vice versa. If a man can do the job that's a typically woman's job, go for it. Do it. Um, it's all about skills and qualifications, right? So I wasn't totally living in reality, and I was very um, – I have to say I didn't really like my body either. I didn't like being a woman. I thought uh, that the fact that we had to bear children was um, a burden, you know. Um, how come men get to have their fun and we have we get stuck being pregnant and morning sickness and the pain and peril of childbirth? Like, it just seemed like a real imbalance. And so, as many women do today, we try to turn our bodies into men's bodies. Now, I don't mean transgender or anything like that because that wasn't even a thing when I was growing up. But... The idea of, like, I'm going to make my body act like a man's body. I'm going to take birth control so I can have sex and not get pregnant like men do. I'm going to aspire to uh, be just like a man, think like a man, problem solve like a man, uh, do what men do, talk like men talk, you know, imitate men, basically. Um, So even when a, a feminist would say something like, a radical feminist would say, I can be as good as a man. Like, what? That is a false admission of inferiority. You just Mm -hmm. said you're not as good as a man, but you're going to try to be be as good as a man or like a man or imitate a man. Why the heck would you want to? You're not a man. You're a woman. Do you you hear men going around saying, I can be a good woman? I can be a good (laughs) woman. It depends on where you're at, sister. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so so – it's kind of like waking up to your, um, and, and as the ancients said, the philosophers said, happiness lies in living in accord with our nature mm-hmm. and fulfilling our nature. Because we didn't create ourselves. We are all created. Everything in creation has been created with a, a design, etc. And fulfilling that design, that purpose, that nature inside of us makes us happy. If we are f- constantly fighting that nature and we kind of, we're self-loathing, we kind of despise ourselves, who we are, we will never have peace. And I was not at peace. I was kind of an angry feminist, you know? And that persisted even after I entered the convent. I met Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, so that's why I became a nun. Um, But I didn't know my faith. Like, I was very poorly catechized. And I still had this internal radical feminist structure because I didn't have anything else. I wasn't some good little Christian Catholic girl who chucked that, who believed all that stuff and then chucked it for the radical feminists. I was a radical feminist from my earliest years. And I brought that internal structure with me into the convent, but I was still searching. I knew I hadn't found it. And cut to the chase, 2006, I discovered theology of the body and everything fell into place. Mm. And I realized that it's our design, that our body is actually speaking to us. It's not inconsequential. It is me. My body is me. My soul is me. I am one person, body and soul, and they work in beautiful harmony together. And all I have to do is live it, accept the gift that I am, and and live it. Mm-hmm. And, and what and a really contrast. appreciate women. 
Yeah, and what a contrast, Sister Helena, to, you know, this kind of loud and proud type of attitude of radical feminism. I get what they're saying, but unfortunately, they just kind of get this little point wrong in terms of accepting who they are versus rejecting it, which is what radical feminism really touches on. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That is Sister Helena Burns. You can find her on Twitter. I'll go ahead and link to her as well on my Twitter at Timory, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, or you can find her as well at S-R- Helena Burns. Again, I'll link to her on my Twitter. That way you can follow the Theology of the Body tweeting sister. Sister, I want to get your thoughts on an idea here uh, because the Theology of the Body is so close to you, your vocation, what you're passionate about. We forget sometimes we reduce sometimes Theology of the Body to our sexuality, which is nothing that you have done in what you've been talking about. But unfortunately, people think like, oh, that's the church's teaching on sex. But in reality, it has to do with who we are as human beings how we interact with one another, and in fact, how we interact with God. And so as we're in the middle of Lent, I keep thinking about this theme of how we're all called to what's called contemplative prayer, which you live as a religious sister, where you're in a state of prayer throughout the day or striving to be, right? And what that looks like. And people confuse it with thinking, you know, it's praying a bunch of Our Fathers and Hail Marys throughout the day. But we're actually talking about an idea of being amiable, willing, open to God and to others throughout the day. And I think that that's where I find this crossover. There's this complementarity between men and women. You know, our bodies physically fit together. It's a sign of how we're supposed to interact in the culture. But what I want to dive into is how that same complementarity is also only possible through a contemplative prayer life that's open to God and to others. What are your thoughts on that? Wow. (laughs) So yeah, no, no, it's true, and and I just want to say one little thing. When I talk about our nature as men or women, or a flower has a nature, a tree has a nature, and a possum has a nature, um, it's all, it's not a stereotype. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't have to bow down to some cultural norm um, that may be twisted up or actually, you know, thinking little of women or something like that. We don't have to fall into that. Um, it's again just being who you are and i what i love to say is that there's it's an incarnation so every woman is going to be a different incarnation of what a woman is every woman is absolutely unique there's not one way to be a woman or one good way to aspire to like we should all be frou frou and our voices should be very delicate you know and we should no it's like no cuz not every woman is like that so don't don't try to buy into stereotypes. And I've heard that some of the kids that think they have to transition and become transgender yes. just feel like they don't fit a stereotype of a girl or a boy or a man or a woman. And they think, well, maybe I'll be better trying the the other sex, mm-hmm. you know, um, or or gender nonconforming or whatever. So it's not about stereotypes. Um, if we look to science, we can get a lot of understanding. You know, science is um, is all it does is take a look at how God made everything and how it works best. How amazing God made everything. We keep delving into that, and then how it works best. So, somebody, uh, a seminarian, asked me one time. He said, "So, how do we know what like a bad cultural stereotype would be, and what something healthy would be?" And I said, "The body. It starts with the body, with what we can see." Um, and then it flows from there. So our body tells us a lot about who we are and what we can't see, our spirit, you know, right? So women's bodies are receptive. Men's bodies, they're the protagonist in the sexual act, right? So that has a lot to do about how men think, how women think and feel, etc. right? So, um, 
and receptivity is not passivity. You know, it's because a woman receives in a giving way because it's an exchange of love and a man gives in a receiving way. Otherwise, it's just one way, you know, communication, one way love. So, but, you know, if you just talk to, to men, I think women need to talk to men. Men need to talk to women if they want to understand each other. You know? Right, right. Um, and sister, I'm going to interrupt like, you for just a second because sure. I want to dive a little bit deeper into this topic and enter into the area of prayer as well. So we'll be right back here on Trending with Timory with Sister Helena Burns. You can find her on Twitter at Sr Helena Burns. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Sister Helena Burns, one of the sisters of St. Paul. I was talking earlier about how one of the first times I heard her, she was talking about how she used to be that radical feminist. And before she discovered theology of the body, um, you know, her mindset surrounding men and women and how women engage in the culture had completely changed. And she referred to herself as kind of recovering from that type of mindset. And her thoughts on the complementarity between men and women are so profound. I wanted to have her on as we talk about prayer and theology of the body. And so, Sister Helena, I want to hear your thoughts as we're in this Lenten season. We talk about how men and women are complement to one another. We look at it sexually, which is a symbol really of the spiritual reality of how we, you know, work together in an environment, how we have various gifts, kind of this whole idea of the body of Christ all supporting one another. We see that all the more so in, you know, the complement between a husband and a wife working together to raise a family, for example. Now, I want to talk about this complementarity really only being possible if we're willing to be that complementarity with God, to be open to him, to be amiable and willing throughout our day to engage in that prayer so that we can engage with others. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. That's that's so true, um, because really our first relationship in life is with our creator, with God. And when I talk to young people, I use creator a lot and they kind of like perk up because they, they might hear Jesus or whatever. And they kind of forget that because we've forgotten so many th- basic things about ourselves. Like God is our creator. He created us in love. He loves us just the way we are. And of course, he's calling us higher all the time. You know, that phrase that he loves us just the way we are, but too much to let us stay that way. <laughs> so he wants us to be better um, in the sense of more like him. Not that we strive really hard to be good because we can't do it on our own. And you brought up the point of like virtue. In any relationship, we have to practice virtue. We can't be selfish. We have to make time for the other, make space, really listen to each other. So our prayer is only that. Um, I always say, if you can text, you can pray. If you can listen to music, you can pray. Because it should be as as simple as breathing, as natural as breathing. If Jesus tells us, pray always. Well, how can I pray always? I have to do my work. I have to focus on the road. I can't be praying prayers and thinking of God all the time. It's like, if we make our morning offering, when we get up, there's many beautiful, you can Google it, morning offerings. We just offer the day to the Lord, and then we know everything is already given to Him. But then during the day, we want to chat with Him. You know, lift up our minds, our hearts, our wills to Him. Um, So we can never stop thinking or feeling or desiring. And some people think that as Christians, we want to empty our minds of everything. It's like, no, that's not Christian prayer. That might be some other form of Eastern meditation or something, but that's not Christian prayer. So I always say there's no such thing as distraction in prayer because 
you're not trying to get rid of all distractions. You're trying to lift everything up to the Lord that you're thinking and feeling right at that moment, whether you're sitting quietly in a pew and have, I call that um, unitasking prayer, or you're doing multitasking prayer. You're driving and you have the radio, um, maybe a rosary app on or something, um, or you're listening to relevant radio and praying there, you know, and you're kind of, you've got your mind on a few things, but you're still kind of talking to the Lord and offering it to the Lord. So I think that's so true. We, we have to have that graciousness with the Lord. Say thank you. You know, the, I was, I've been thinking a lot about the 10 lepers, right? All of them were cured and only one came back to say thank you to the Lord, right? So are we demanding? Are we, do we ignore him? Do we not have time for him? Like, he's a real person, divine person. So if we treated our friends like that or our family like that, you know, it wouldn't be very good. So really, it's true. And the Lord can teach us with his love how to love ourselves, how to love him, how to love others. And that is so keen, like you said, in male-female relationships, because we really, we don't understand each other that well. We really have to just keep going out of ourselves to the other, the one who is not like me and making a great effort to understand. Sometimes we, we obviously we're attracted to one another and we love one another if you're a spousal relationship of a husband and wife, but you may not like some things about that right, that you but learn. You know what, sister, you know, I think about what you're saying and it's not even just male, female relationships, but you know, we were talking earlier in the show about how we're in election year and how the pressure's on and, you know, people identify in different ways in terms of voting. You know, we even have a hard time, you know, complimenting or interacting with people who just have different ideologies or come from a different race than we do. It's so yeah. hard for us at this point in history. And I think that that's part of the answer of theology of the body. But more importantly, the answer to if we are open to God, whether we are, you know, engaging in that prayer at mass or in the rosary or even just in the culture and lifting up those desires or the struggles or the frustrations or even, you know, the work we're doing right before us, no matter what it is, we need to work on that openness to the other person through that prayer. Right. And as it says in Theology of the Body, all differences are a call to communion. Mm. All human differences are a call to communion, not to competition, not to fighting, not to um, putting somebody down and making myself superior. And that doesn't, like you said, doesn't just go for male-female relationships, but imagine that would be race relations, international peace. I am called to communion with others as much as is possible and as much as they are willing to do that. So we put our differences together, our weaknesses, our strengths. Um, That's part of what loving our neighbor means and loving our enemy as well. So I, I was stationed in Canada for a while and the trans, those kids that identify as trans in Alberta were actually transferring to the Catholic schools because they felt safer there. Isn't that an interesting and, phenomenon that people right? just are not listening to? They're more safe, more comfortable, and more respected in a Catholic environment. And so I, I tell young people that, and they're shocked. I said, and I, I joke, I say, but we're the haters, right? We hate everybody, right? Christians are haters. And we're the, we're the problem, right? I said, why do you think they feel safer in a Catholic school? And they come to the idea that, well, in a public school, it's just a policy, don't bully. But why not? Mm, maybe there's not a lot behind that. Just don't do it. And there's consequences. And I mean, kids are mean. People are mean everywhere you go. But in a Catholic school, at least it should be, we have a lot more than a policy. We don't want you bullied for any reason. And not only do we, does our God tell us we have to love everyone, not only that, we love you and we see Christ in you. Mm-hmm. So you are like 
we have to treat you like we treat God. That's what we're <laughs> yeah. actually called to, love one another as I have loved you. So um, that's the heart of theology of the body, well, you know, you that look, communion. Yes, and you look at that, and, you know, that is just the perfect example because the Catholic Church, our whole religion is founded under this attitude of there's true freedom in terms of who we are and how we interact with the world. And even if we disagree, that requires respect um, for others, respect for allowing others to have their opinions so that there can be dialogue. And I think that's sometimes what's interesting. Sometimes the only place we're finding dialogue in today's culture is in the Catholic Church. By the way, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. You can listen here we're on Relevant Radio. You can find us on Relevant Radio or head over to radiotrending.com. So sister, as we're talking about this internal dialogue with our Lord throughout the day, I almost wonder if we were engaging in that dialogue, if we were trying ideas up against him, you know, throwing ideas at him, you know, saying, okay, you know, I'm thinking about this, Lord, I'm going to leave this in your hands. If maybe we were doing that throughout the day a little better, perhaps we, were, we would be a little bit better about hearing the ideas of other people and rather than imposing our opinion on others, sharing our thoughts to start the conversation, bring others away, you know, around to find truth ultimately. Sure. And like you said, in the Catholic Church, we are able to dialogue because we believe in truth, um, objective truth, not just subjective truth. And hopefully, you know, it, we can fall into it too, just becoming ideologists, ideologues, and sort of raising our voices. And we just can't, we get so heated, we can't get beyond, why can't this person understand that they're wrong, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Um, but if you don't believe in objective truth, then you only believe in feelings. And then that's when it becomes very emotional and heated. Um, so it's always, again, we have to love the person, no matter what their ideas are. Um, it goes back to the human person. And so that's why, like you said, Theology of the body isn't just about sexuality. Um, that's a big component of who we are as human beings. But it's really about the human person made in the image and likeness of God, body and soul. Not to, we're not just spiritual mm -hmm. beings. We're corporal beings. And so um, God's idea was diversity. That's why we're all so different. <laughs> you know? So it wasn't the culture's idea to like be yourself. God made each one of us so unique that he really does want us to ourselves. But what I, what I tell young people, I say is, so what is a more body positive message? You were born wrong and you need massive surgeries and to be on dangerous drugs for the rest of your life, or you're amazing just the way you are. You're mm -hmm. amazing. And you can learn to love yourself. You can learn to love your whole self, which includes your body. And I think if we, if we love ourselves and we see ourselves through God's eyes, we can then start to see others through God's eyes, even if they're vastly, vastly different than I am, and I disagree on almost everything with them, I still really and truly love them and treat them like I love them. You know, raising my voice and this and that um, doesn't really help. And sometimes it's not just a head trip. We think it's really a rational matter, but sometimes it's really a matter of the heart. Mm -hmm. You know, people are hurting. People, we're all wounded. We're all in need of healing. And so maybe we grab, grasp onto an idea and that becomes our, our God, our false God, our idol, this idea, this um, way of thinking, even the political scene. You know, we can get so into that, as important as it is, we still have to remember that there's the kingdom of God. There's, there's another reality, too, that, um, you know, we're trying to bring to bear in the public square um, in a secular, pluralistic society. But that's never going to happen if we don't have love in our heart. 
<laughs> you know, and treat others with kindness and decency. Um, because and show them a difference. Show mm-hmm. them that this this is what it means to be a Christian. I I don't just raise my voice like everyone else and try to pound my beliefs into you. And I think we learn that at the foot of Jesus, um, going to God in prayer and contemplation, as you said. We're coming right up on the next break. That's Sister Helena Burns. You can find her on Twitter at SR Helena Burns. You can also pull that up on my Twitter. We'll send a link out to her as well. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where reality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. we're going to be talking about dating risks and some of what we're seeing in new television shows or for example the new show love is a blind on netflix and this is absolutely entertaining tv i'm sure but it does beg the question what is going on with the dating scene today with me is sister helena burns we'll be talking with her in just a moment first a message from our sponsors solidarity health share is simple to help pay for affordable quality health care they enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses you choose the doctors that you want to see even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible solidarity health share helps pay for napro technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Sister, I'm looking at this new show called Love is Blind on Netflix. So basically the premise of it, there are about 30 contestants. Uh, They're split into two groups, male, female. And what happens is they do not get to meet each other face to face. The whole course of the show takes place over about 38 days. And let me tell you this, they meet each other, basically kind of imagine the Catholic confessional and a guy's on one side and a woman's on the other, no priest here. Uh, They meet each other through like this wall where they hear each other's voices and they get to know each other. And then over the course of the week, they end up deciding at the end of the week if they want to propose to each other. And then after those first seven to 10 days, then once they propose, they go on a vacation together. And then after the vacation, they meet each other's family, move in with each other. And then in the course of less than 40 days, at the end of that time, they decide at the altar whether or not they're going to get married. And so this is the new love experiment called Love is Blind on Netflix. And boy, Sister Helena, I'm looking at this story and it is both an experiment, but one of those stories of, man, we are just willing to try anything on for the sake of love today. I would say it's not even love. This is entertainment. So um, and maybe some of the contestants are truly hoping to find a spouse. Searching, but right. I think the people who created the show and those who watch the show are not really 
just they like The care. Bachelor or any <laughs> right. of those. You know, um, there used to be the dating game, but that was just to go on a date, like to see if, you know, you like what this person had to say, and then you go on a little date. But this idea of like getting hot and heavy with people, and then you know they're having sex and all this right. crazy stuff, like barely off camera, and, you know, you know all this intimate details about our lives. So there's many things going on here, especially voyeurship, you know, where people are, why do I need to watch this this fake thing, this, you know, like Big Brother or when they um, – I love job shadowing shows when you actually get to follow people in their real jobs, more or less. Right. Um, more or less unscripted, but when you just get a bunch of people together in false situations and you drum it all up and you have to create tension and drama, to me, it's it's sad. It kind of breaks my heart because you know that these people are getting damaged. They might be getting a lot of money, a lot of notoriety, because some of them, I know, after these shows, you catch up with them four years later. Did, they, did their marriage break up? You know, mm-hmm. like things like that. But it's this externalization that we've done of ourselves where, you know, if you didn't t- take a picture, it didn't happen, you weren't there. Um, and it's like, no, actually most of our lives is inside. Like right. we have a whole interior life that matters so much more. And even if we never got on TV, our life is so valuable and that is not the way to find true love. Right. Um, you know, but I do like, I have to say, I do like the premise of not uh, seeing somebody's face because that can happen. Now on the internet, we we go right to FaceTime or Skype or something, and we do see people's faces. But say you're on CatholicMatch.com or some dating site, you might just see a little picture, right. profile picture of somebody. <laughs> but you're actually putting your values together. You're right. talking about what you want, your interests, etc. It's and it's sometimes not all based on looks. You know, mm-hmm. I know that for a fact. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. <laughs> well, you and know, just a little thought there, too. I think there's a difference between some of the experimentation that's happening um, in, like, kind of trying it on, trying on, you know, going on vacation together, trying on moving in together versus finding a place to actually be introduced to someone like you're referring to. Yes, and it's really hard to meet people. So it's kind of all gone to dating apps, um, which can work very well. I, I know four couples personally who have mm-hmm. found each other on catholicmatch.com and have amazing marriages to this day. Um, there's there's a wonderful movie, too, called Penelope with Christina Ricci, and it's what just what you're talking about. And she had a pig's nose, and so that was her disability, right? And this guy falls in love with her, and he never saw her face, and then he didn't care when he actually saw her. So I think we're talking about internal external. But then, of course, I think it just flips over into the same old, same old. They go away together on a vacation. They move in. And one of my favorite uh, films on dating is The Dating Project movie. Yes, excellent movie. We talked a lot about it here. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch this movie. Um, It's a great example of returning to learning how to date again rather than fall into bed, essentially. Right, right. So, um, And with the older woman there who's got like, she says, you know, sleeping with each other, you're still not going to know if you like each other before marriage. You know, <laughs> it's it's so more true. about that, that friendship. We yes. don't know how to be friends anymore and get to know someone because I think we've hollowed ourselves out. We don't think that we have an interior life. We don't mm-hmm. think we have anything to share or give. So it becomes all about how I look and how I come across. 
And so I think people need to like go back inside and maybe they never got that even growing up. You know, maybe they were just rushed as they were growing up and they had play dates and they had to learn Chinese and violin lessons and they never had time to just breathe and be a kid and play in the mud and contemplate the trees and think about stuff and maybe kind of just doodle and be creative in their own little way and find out what they really wanted to do in life and what they really liked. So, um, so we're afraid we, we're not afraid to jump into bed and get physically naked, but we're terrified to get spiritually naked with someone, to show someone who I really am. Because we don't, I think we've lost a sense of self. Mm-hmm. Like, I am a person, whether anybody sees me beyond my friends and family, whether I'm known or I'm famous or on Instagram or my followers, it doesn't matter. God knows me. The people, you can't, they say you can't have very many close acquaintances anyway. You know, the number keeps going down. They thought it was 107. Now they think it's 50. Now they think it's 20 or something. Mm-hmm. People who really know you and are right. going to, you know, care about you. So, and, and what more important relationship does that have to happen than in a marriage, in a dating relationship? And so I use John Paul II's seven steps to true love. One, attraction. Two, desire. Three, sympathy. Four, friendship. Five, willing the good of the other no matter what it costs me, which gets us to true love. If I can sacrifice myself for someone and do what's good for them, then I've I've reached a, a level of self-sacrificial love, and then I'm ready for married love. And only till then do I do we bring our bodies together in this complete, total gift of self that says forever. The language right. of sex is forever. Mm-hmm. I will go ahead and tweet a link out to those seven steps as well, so that you can really contemplate on them as we move into you know the attitude of dating in the culture. I really want to encourage people: if you're out there, if you're single, or you know someone who's single, wanting to get to know someone. You need to get to know them. You need to not worry about, you know, marrying them on the first date. And I think that that's what's frustrating about shows such as Love is Blind. There's such a truth to what they're saying. And Sister Helena Burns, who's with us, is making that clear. Like, love can be pretty blind. You know, sometimes, you know, I think a great example is, you know, sometimes there are those just drop-dead gorgeous people, men or women, where everyone agrees. But the reality is, is that there are a lot of people where, you know, you have a friend, you think, wow, you know, what does she find interesting in him, you know, in terms of how they look, you know, love is blind when we really care for someone, not that we overlook certain things and their appearances, but we love them as a whole person, body, a soul, as you keep emphasizing. Right. And we have to, you know, give ourselves a chance sometimes to, to get to know the person. Um, how many movies do you watch where they they don't like each other in the beginning? They're turned off by each other, and yes. you know by the end of the movie, why? Because they gave each other a chance. You know, they got mm-hmm. to know one another a little better. So again, I, I can't stress the friendship part enough. And sometimes, if if it's a physical attraction, one of the stages of true love, um, friendship comes later. But sometimes we can be friends with someone, and then we realize we're falling in love with them, and hopefully it's mutual. And those can be some of the most solid relationships, solid marriages, where they say, you know, today I married my best friend, and they really mean it, you know. Because, yes, there's the physical sexual attraction, of course, but I like this person. Um, I think it was Kevin Bacon and his wife, Kira Sedgwick. They've been together for a long, long time, which, again, is unusual in Hollywood. And they said, well, we don't want to, you know, act like we've got it all together because a lot of our friends have gotten divorced. But they said, we actually like each other. <laughs> we we like being together. We like spending time together. <laughs> Isn't that a rarity so, in today's culture right? sometimes? You know, so they've preserved that. And how do you preserve that? By by 
courtesy, that virtue, Mm -hmm. by saying thank you, not taking each other for granted. Um, They always say communication is what makes a marriage last, communication, communication. They've found yes and no, because sometimes you don't want to over-communicate or, you know, dredge up the past or whatever, or it's respect, to have this utter respect for one another, even though we are sleeping in the same bed and we eat breakfast together and we see each other day in, day out, I still say, please, I don't take you for granted. I don't demand that you do this for me or or whatever. I do all the little tiny things. As St. Therese said, you do the little things with love. Amen. And that means everything. Yes, absolutely. And that, that, that is sister. marriage. Oh, thank you, Sister Helena. The example of marriage, the example of being open to one another, complimenting one another, all incredible themes that we've been talking about here on Trending. If you want to follow more of Sister Helena's work, you can find her at SR Helena Burns. We'll be sending out show notes to that. So head over to radiotrending.com where you can find more out about Sister Helena Burns. Thank you for being with us, Sister. And thank Thanks you for, for listening. having me. And my blog is hellburns.com. Excellent. So our blog, don't miss that. That's hellburns.com. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 